0: Hello
1: everybody. Welcome to Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington joined by my pals David Moore and Evan Grant. Hello fellows. How are we doing? Oh we're doing okay
2: here in Cincinnati. We uh, yesterday got to Cincinnati threw our clothes and luggage in a little hotel room and went to go to our favorite Cincinnati eating establishment which is not a stupid chili on top of spaghetti place. Um, we went to the Montgomery Inn.
1: You're not I'm a Skyline not, Chili guy? I'm not
2: a Skyline Chili guy. Went to the Montgomery Inn for, for ribs, place I've been going for, for 30 years. Uh, pulled up there in the Uber, walked up to the front door after the Uber driver said, Oh, this place is usually pretty busy when I drop somebody off. And uh, walked up to the front door to find out that uh, they were closed on Monday. So, um really good start for me uh, with my research on uh, Google reviews or whatever to, to not know that the restaurant was closed on Mondays so
3: um, I'm up for I'm open for res, for so you're going today is what you're saying
2: no they, they they're not open for lunch anymore either they just open at 4:30 so I'm open for recommendations on where to eat in Cincinnati I guess I should call our old friend Ben baby
1: there you go. I think you should go get some Skyline Chili. That's no. What
2: I think you do. If yeah, I want we'll spaghetti
1: and meat sauce, I'll get spaghetti and meat sauce. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got to eat like the locals do. Come on, man. Be a team player.
2: Let's go. Did I ever tell you my my the, the story about my first meal in Cincinnati? This is a no, good one. No, And we don't want to hear it either. Oh, no. This is a good one. Um, it was, I guess, 94. And uh, they were still playing at old Riverfront Stadium. And I went down to the media dining room for my first meal, which was like basically a closet. And uh, walked up there and basically they had some hot dogs that were gray in in some water sitting there. And I'm I'm looking down at at the spread, trying to decide if I really wanted to chance this. And then I look up and staring right back at me from across the other side of the salad sneeze guard was Marge Shot, a heater dripping from her lips, and Shotzi, her St. Bernard, on her leash. And she just looked back at me, Marge Shot, obviously being the owner of the Reds at that point in time, and not very well liked by, I don't think anybody, said with a very heavy smoker's accent, Eat up honey, it's all good. okay
1: thanks for the march shot story we always love those uh those are always helpful uh so uh that was evan grant in case y'all didn't pick up on that uh david moore how are you doing
3: i'm doing well kevin you, you don't have a, a disgusting march shot story <laughs> to tell we uh we never found ourselves in the uh same room together
1: yeah yeah that's that was a good
3: thing for you <laughs> Good
1: thing for you. All right, let's uh, let's get going here. Uh, so, uh, got a little thing called the NFL draft this week. Starts Thursday, uh, runs through Saturday. Three rounds, uh, not three rounds, three days. Uh, they'll do obviously one round on Thursday, and the the Cowboys will be picking about oh, I don't know, ten o'clock on Thursday night. David, does that sound about it's right? It'll be
3: right around there. Yeah, yeah. So
1: you're gonna have to stay up late now. You kids, uh, you need to get to bed early on Wednesday so you can uh, stay up late to get this whole draft thing in. It's going to be very exciting. Uh, we're going to have our own little first-round draft here for the Cowboys at the end of the Cowboys segment of this podcast. But first, David, we want to talk about the, the, the old <laughs> the old misdirection press conference the Cowboys old, always have before the draft, and they had that one yesterday and uh, in, uh, in which – Jerry said, uh, "Well, we might trade up, we might trade down, we might just stay right where we are,
3: uh, which pretty much covers the bases, I think." Yeah, thanks for sticking with us. That's his. You know, just just stay tuned. Who knows what we'll do? Yeah. When was the
1: last time the Cowboys did anything, David? In the first year. When I say did anything, I mean trade up, trade down.
3: Well, it's actually been you know it's been eleven years since they've traded up, and that was when they jumped from fourteen to six to get Mo Claiborne back in 2011. Uh, that's the last time in the first round that they have traded up. Um, you know, they, they, they've made some trades in later rounds to move up. The, the most, uh, most significant was when they gave up a third-round pick to jump into the top of the second round to take DeMarcus Marcus Lawrence. Uh, and I think when you're talking about them moving up, I would see them potentially moving up in the second or third or fourth round, but not necessarily the first round. You know, from if if you want to crunch the numbers here, um, you know, usually in in most years uh, they will have anywhere from sixteen to maybe nineteen to twenty players with the first round grade. Uh, asked about that yesterday, Monday, and Stephen Jones said, "Well, we're tweaking a few things, but it's going to track, and basically what we've always followed that range of." So he said, "Anywhere from." from 15 to 18 first round picks. Well Dallas is at number 26. so, so that tells you that um, you know as far as their first round grades they should all be off the board. And then how much capital are you going to give up to move a few spots if potentially one of those players that you have in your top 18 starts to slide to 22 23, uh, would you do that? I you know I guess I could still always see them there's a player they really like, I, I can see them moving up two to three spots in the in the first round, but I don't see a dramatic move that would cause them a, a second-round pick. Who's the guy that,
1: that – that, give us an example of somebody you think that might cause them to do that, David. Is, is there a particular player or a particular position, a, a player would play that would maybe cause them to do that?
3: Well – you know, I, and I, we've debated this. I, I think if B. John Robinson was there around 20 to 20, you know, got past 20 and it's now suddenly in the – and uh, you're 21, 22 and he's still on the board, Um, I could see making a move for him uh, to move up a few spots. I I know this is greatly debated by many, and and, and a lot will say, well, no, you just don't take a running back in the first round. And it is interesting um, when we were talking to – uh. Jerry Jones, Stephen Jones, and Mike McCarthy in their uh, annual pre-draft press conference uh, on Monday. Um, We started exploring the, you know, well, just what are your thoughts on drafting a running back in the first round? And and, uh, Mike McCarthy made a point of saying, well, I've never drafted one in the first round. So those questions are for these two guys. So this would be a first. And so, uh, um, but you talk about uh, once you get in they're at 26 once you get into mid20s and on um even if it's not a position you have as highly graded as some others if the talent is that good and and mo- for most people I've seen they consider Bijan Robinson a top five talent so at some point when a player that talented slides because his positional weight, uh, doesn't carry the respect around the league that it does. Still, at some point, it's the 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 talent is glaring and overwhelming, and and compels you to make the pick. So to me, he would be. And look, is is there really any doubt? And and you know, wherever B. John Robinson goes, I think there's a very good chance he's going to be offensive rookie of the year, right? And he's going to yeah. have a tremendous impact on that team uh, this year, next year, the year after that. So, I. I, I found I found the whole. I, I understand where running backs rank in the hierarchy of today's NFL world, and, and that they're viewed as somewhat disposable. And you certainly don't want to give them second contracts. But you know, I'll argue even with Ezekiel Elliott, the issue wasn't that he didn't. He wasn't a valuable contributor to this team. The the issue was they jumped out there and gave him a second contract with two years left on his first deal, uh, which really you know. Uh, Tampered with the economics of the roster. That was the mistake on Ezekiel Elliott, not taking him. And now we're talking about taking a back at 26, or you move up a few spots in the 20s. To me, that's a no brainer when you're talking about a player as talented as Bijan Robinson. I think you got to also factor into that consideration of of Bijan
1: is that uh, so so the Eagles got three first round picks Uh, at 10, is it 10, 20, and 31? Is that it? I th- yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that sounds right to me. I don't believe there's any way in the world that the 30. Eagles, excuse me, yeah.
3: 10 20, 20 and 30. 30 yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. I don't think there's any way in the world that they don't use uh one of those picks on him. And and that, you know, I I really would think that at 20 they would take him if he's there uh because he is the best player available they need a running back uh, and uh he, he he makes them a lot better. They're a lot they'll be a lot better team uh next year on offense if he's in their backfield than what they were last year, uh, and certainly what they would be this year without him. And I think, to me, you, you don't necessarily want to draft you know to keep somebody else from doing something. But boy, if I'm the Cowboys and I had a chance to take him at the uh, at at some point, and if I thought I was keeping the Eagles from getting him, uh, I think that might send me over the edge a little bit. Uh, I just don't, I don't think you can let a talent like that go. And I'm like you; I understand all the problems with it. I I, I get everything about it but just when we were talking about a while ago at the back, at the end of the first round, these are not really first round talents. So okay. then that's what you're, that's what you're taking. Right. Uh, and you, uh, I, I just think that uh, plus I, I, I like the, you know, the makeup of the kid. He's a great kid. Uh, he's uh you know, it's a great physical specimen. Uh, he's really multidimensional. Can do a lot of things. Uh, great pass catcher. Uh, and, You know, I I think we hadn't really ever talked about the fact that who knows how good Tony Pollard is going to be now coming back from a broken leg. Uh,
3: You know, I think that's legitimate. They say there shouldn't be any, but, you know, what were they saying about Michael Gallup, that he was going to be able to work his way back in? And then you look at the end of last season and they went, well, you could tell he wasn't, you know, he was never right again. This is the most significant injury Tony Pollard's ever had. And uh, so – you can talk about it from a physical standpoint, but when a player hasn't come back from an injury that significant, uh, their mental approach to the game factors into it as well, just as far as having the confidence to, to especially someone who's as, as shifty and change of direction and, and, and change of pace as, as uh, Tony Pollard is. So, um, yeah, I don't think you can assume uh, you would like to, I mean, the Cowboys believe but you can't assume that Tony Pollard will be playing at the same level this coming year that he was this past year.
1: Plus when you look at the, at the, from the standpoint of is uh so Tony's going to be on the tag right this year and uh you know uh, let's say you you, you took uh B. John Robinson and then you said hey we like him better you know that you don't yeah. re-sign uh you know uh, Tony at that point and let him go and you save some money against the cap for four years. I think that the, in some respect, when we talk about getting a guy a second contract, you also have to consider, but what is our window? Is this exactly. is this our window now? Are we ready to win right now? And if we are, then let's go all in on this. If this guy makes us better. This is the best guy we can have. This is the guy who's going to make the biggest impact on what we have right now. So I, I want to do that. So, I, okay. So I think we clear that need, up.
2: The Cowboys need to get the player in the draft. Who will have the biggest impact on this team going deepest into the playoffs now?
3: Yeah, I think so too. I think, and I think Bijan would do make... that. Bijan would fit that bill in my mind. Particularly
2: if you're drafting 26 and you draft a running back, to me, it's a lot different than when you're drafting four. And four.
3: A lot different. Um,
1: It is different. And it's always one of those things, too, is that after the draft is over and you get into the season and then things start to happen, it's just what we said, it's easier for a running back to make an impact than it is in the position right away. And you see that and everybody goes, oh, my gosh, this guy's great. And then everybody says, Why didn't somebody else take him? Why didn't why didn't when we were drafted fifteenth, why didn't we take him? You know, why didn't mock- we take him
2: seen ha- I mean, I think a lot of this I, I get where we're coming from on this, but I think a lot of this conversation is moved because most of the mocks that I'm seeing have him going somewhere between eight and twelve, right? Um, and there's not another running back in the first round that we think would be even remotely
3: on that level. Is that correct? That's correct. Gibbs is probably uh yeah. the second. Um, yeah, and, and there's some talk of him getting into the first round now, but and some people this but some people go, Oh, uh watch for Gibbs. Gibbs may be better than B. John Robinson. I think a lot of that is you just get tired of saying that B. John Robinson's the best and so uh you want to extol the virtues of someone else to say it's not, you know, this this uh, great gap, but the, the consensus is Bijan and then Gibbs, potentially a first round back. Uh, I just Gibbs just, is a different sort of back. He's more, he's more of a Tony Pollard type of back. I yeah.
2: think where we are with the Cowboys and where this, where this fan base is with the Cowboys is, it, it does not matter what the long-term outlook is. This team needs to, this team needs to accomplish something. And uh, if you, history will say that Ezekiel Elliott was a fine first round pick. Um, I think Kevin's point, you know, the second contract, probably a mistake. But for the purposes that first, that drafting him where they drafted him and getting him where they they got him and what they got out of him for the first duration of that contract was certainly championship caliber. It, it wasn't Ezekiel Elliott that was the reason the Cowboys didn't go to a Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, that, that's that's true. I mean, that, that, in that draft, they could have had Jalen Ramsey. Uh, there was a lot of speculation about that, and I, I felt like they should have taken him. And of course, he's kind of bounced around the league a little bit, uh, and he's, he's been a great player. And if they had taken Jalen
2: Ramsey, Kevin, would they have had any running game
1: whatsoever? I mean, I, I you know. Well, they could have. You know, that was my point. They could have taken Derrick Henry in the second round. So that was in my in the in the in my own mock draft. Before that, I said take Jalen Ramsey in the first and Derrick Henry in the second. That would have worked out pretty well.
2: Well, isn't that that's, uh, why, that's
1: why Jerry singled you and Will McClay out in his press conference. No. <laughs> that's I think that's correct. I think that's correct. Well, you know, I I've always been a big believer in a big big running back. You know, I just I just love them. I think they're great. Uh, but at any rate, uh, we'll see if that works out that way. All right. Let's, uh, let's go over our own little draft here. Uh, we're going to have our own first round uh, for the Cowboys. And uh, so, Evan, do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? We're going to let David go last since he's the expert. <laughs> uh, well, you're
2: the oldest, Kevin. And since we don't know how much time you've got left, let's, let's let you go first.
1: Yeah, I'm the oldest and best looking, so let's go with me. Uh, I'm going to say the Cowboys on the clock. First of all, I'm going to say the Cowboys stay at twenty-six. Uh, I'm going to say that B. John Robinson goes probably in the top 12 or 15, uh, as we, we said. The Cowboys will not trade up that far to to get him. Uh, so I'm going to say that they will get Michael Mayer, the Notre Dame tight end. Uh, he is a player probably uh, from from everything that you uh, read and what we've seen about him and seen him play. He might be the, uh, the, the most closely resembling a, a, a guy like a Jason Witten, a guy that's probably not not real fast, he's not a game-breaker, but he's got really good hands, really, really does a great job catching the ball, really dependable, uh, and that would give them a really nice uh, a tight end to do that. I, I'm not really sold on that. I, I do think that Jake Ferguson uh, is probably uh, you know fine in uh, and, and Peyton Hendershot, as well, I, I like Ferguson better than Pendershaw but I think they're both pretty good. If they were to pick somebody, something else, I think that'd be great. It's just that these are some really quality tight ends that are there, and I, and you know what, I, I like some of these other guys as well. You know, there's there's several out there. Dalton Kincaid is also very good. Um, uh, the uh, uh, Alabama uh, tight end is also very good, uh, and uh, or I'm sorry, the Georgia tight end. Your old, your old pal there, Darnell. I,
2: I, look, Darnell's, Darnell's a physical specimen. I have questions about his pass-catching ability, and maybe that, maybe I'm biased because I've seen him catch passes in the same game with Brock Bowers, and it's not really a, a level playing field, but that would be my biggest concern on Darnell
1: Washington. Um, I wonder if there's a little bit of a I wonder if there's a little bit of a feel, uh, David, about Darnell Washington. The, the thing I like about it is just the fact that he's 6'8", you know, is that when you get down there in the end zone, don't you just love the idea of that? I'm just going to lock this Red zone threat,
3: yeah. And yeah. they think I think they do feel he has that is where he can improve as a you know look after Mayer. Mayer's the most complete of the tight ends. Uh, then you have Kincaid from Utah, who's an outstanding receiver, not as good of a blocker, and then you have uh, Darnell, who is an outstanding, dominant blocker and needs to you know needs to improve as a receiver. Now, he has soft hands, he can make contested catches, uh because of his size, he's a red zone threat which you're always looking for. So I mean, there's upside there. I wouldn't completely rule him out in the first round, but to me he's more of a second round guy. Now now the thing is, is he going to be there in the second round when they pick at 58 and probably not. So that's yeah. where You get into a little bit, but like I say, I, I think the Cowboys will be willing to reach at the end of a round. Look, inherently, if you're at the end of the round, you're going to reach at times, right? Because, um, and they did it last year with Sam Williams. A lot of people thought Sam Williams was a third round pick, but he wasn't going to be around in the third round at the end of the third round when Dallas was picking again. So they took him in the second. It's a lot different doing that in the second and third round than it is in the first. At the first, you have to sit there and let the talent dictate completely. And so, I think Mayer's the most complete of those for, for what you're saying. Uh, the okay. one
2: thing I would say about Darnell, right, is, and this is the upside, is if you do get him to catch the ball, he's going to be a beast to bring down. He's the kind of yeah. he he's got the kind of body and ability to be a quote unquote big play tight end. Now. Being able to catch the ball is a really important part of the job, so that that's the risk you, you take there. But
3: I listen. and he's a sixth offensive lineman. You know, they want to yeah. run; they want to be better at running the ball. Yeah, yeah. He essentially, gives you six offensive linemen. You run two tight end sets with him and Jay Ferguson, and you can disguise every set that whenever you walk up to the line, are they going to run or pass?
2: He was, and I mean, you've got you've got to also take into into account, right? That, I mean. The kind of protection that Stetson Bennett had, and the ability that they had to make plays, and some of that was due to the tight ends. But I don't know that there's been, I don't know that there's been a college football program that had the tight ends, you know, that Georgia had in, in Bowers and in Washington. So I, I, I don't know how to comp it out. I do know this. This is my concern. I was a big advocate when Atlanta took Kyle Pitts. With, it, 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 I think it was the fourth, their fourth pick, the fourth, fourth pick overall or maybe it was eighth pick overall, but they took him very high, and he hasn't been what I expected. So I'm, I've also got some leeriness about the tight end. It's probably why, since I guess I'm on the clock now, um, if if Meyer's not there, uh, or if I've got some second thoughts, I'd probably go for Darnell Wright if he's available, the tackle from Tennessee. Uh, I believe, David, you... Talk to Cowboys folks who think that he can move to guard, which is the which is the primary need on the offensive line. Um, it's not a sexy pick. It's not a, a Jerry typical kind of pick. But if they need his offensive line and they need to make this offense more Dak friendly, you've got to get him better protection, and you've you've got to also, you know, be able to open up some more holes for Tony Pollard if he's going to be your primary running back.
3: Yeah, they, they like Wright. Uh, again, he's a guy, a player projected to go a little ahead of them, but that doesn't mean he won't be there when they pick. Uh, it just depends on how things unfold. And there will be some picks where you go, oh, no, that was out of sequence. And then sometimes a guy like Wright just tumbles four or five spots. You know, the, the, the Cowboys were the beneficiary of that a, a couple of years ago with C.D. Lamb. Uh, in all the mock drafts they did, none of You know, the club never had C.D. Lamb coming to them. So sometimes you have that.
2: I remember all our podcasts leading up to that draft and how I kept bringing the question up to both of you guys. Well, what if C.D. Lamb is available? uh, He's not going to be available. And we said he's not going to be
3: available. Yeah, Um,
2: exactly. uh, The one thing, I just will say this. The the mock draft that I ran this morning, the the real quick one that I ran on pro football on PFF, um, was a two-round mock draft. And it had the Cowboys taking right or had right available for the Cowboys. But what I found interesting was it had the Giants at 25 taking Michael Mayer, and if the Cowboys got word that the, that the Giants were going to take their tight end, David, do you think that they would they would do everything in their power to move ahead of the Giants?
3: Um, that that would be interesting. That would depend. You know, again, you rarely see teams move up for a tight end. Um, and, and what do you give up? And to me, the other thing that would probably work against that is that this is a very deep tight end class at the top two. So if you can't get your tight end at 26, come back and get them in the second round or get them in the third round. Mm-hmm. And, and there are players that fit that profile and look, a second or third rounder at tight end is still ahead of where J. Ferguson was selected in the fourth, was still ahead of where Dalton Schultz was selected in the fourth. So you're, you're still looking at a talent upgrade and and the ability to, to work that position. So, um, yeah, and I know we need to wrap this up here. Um, I, you know, Given, just because I want to do a different name from both of you guys, but I, I think it's in the discussion here. And if the tight ends are gone, which is viable, if um, if if right doesn't slip slide to there, which is also a possibility, I, I think the Cowboys in this scenario would look for defense. And I would say Arkansas linebacker Drew Sanders. Now, I know a lot of people initially will roll their eyes and go, a linebacker again? Really? Um, let me ask you this: Is Micah Parsons really a linebacker anymore? Or, or when you look up and you look at his snaps last year, two out of every three snaps he took was at defensive end. Uh, I think he's quietly, in a lot of ways, being used as an end more now than a than a linebacker. And in, in a lot of ways, Drew Sanders uh, is kind of a Micah Parsons light. Uh, it's rangy. Uh, uh, has that size and wingspan that Dan Quinn craves? Uh, He's constantly on the go, uh, strong motor, uh, weight room warrior from from all accounts, and um, it, you know would give that defensive unit even another uh, th- that rotation, make it even stronger. So I, I think that's a name that that you should also keep in mind. I, I think Cowboys would prefer offense there, but. If the players they like are off the board, uh, I think Drew Sanders is a strong, strong consideration for them.
1: Uh, okay, that's going to wrap up everything. I do want to say the one thing we might see in this draft is what you always see when, when we talk about guys drafting is that uh, there's a run on a position. Yeah. Uh, there's a run on quarterbacks, and uh, it, you know, and 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 I, it's hard to even say there's such a thing as a run on quarterbacks anymore because now teams just take more quarterbacks than they used to in the first round. So I I think that uh, that will be interesting to see how that develops. And we'll be able to talk about all of that uh, next Tuesday in uh, our our next podcast when we get to talk about what the Cowboys did in the draft. So we, we look forward to that. All right, Evan, let's talk about the Rangers now and about this bullpen, which has suddenly uh, been like a, a match in gasoline here. Uh, blew a couple of big games, lost the game to Oakland, lost the game to the Reds. Uh, I think, as you pointed out, they don't blow those games. They've got an eight-game winning streak going here, and that's just the definition of a morale buster to me when the bullpen blows games like it did in those two.
2: Yeah, and Kevin, listen, I really want to applaud you on how you come up with the, the, the really vivid um, but uncommon uh, metaphor. Um, the uh, Gasoline? gasoline? That one for a bullpen before. Um, listen, I, I, I think that for what this club wants to accomplish this year, all things considered, the fact that they are 14-8 and eight right now and that they've got a basically a 60-run run differential over opponents and their biggest weakness has been exposed pretty early, the back end of the bullpen, I think all s- serves a good purpose. And I think that serves this purpose that the Rangers should probably look to address and beef up that bullpen sooner rather than later. Um, that's going to be the primary need this this season, and it's going to be something that the Rangers have to start investigating. I don't know that I've got a ton of confidence in Jose Leclerc to close out games. I think that Bruce Bochy has some confidence in Will Smith, um, but he certainly doesn't have the overwhelming power stuff that you really kind of need from a closer these days. Um, And Walks... Walks from your late inning relievers are going to just drive Bruce Bochy mad, uh, and that's what they got last night, and it's what they—it's what happened against Oakland. And this team, listen—if if you're looking at an eight-game winning streak, and you're looking at a team that's 16 and six, 22 games into the season, with a, a run differential of what would be in the top
1: 15 all time through 22 games. Uh, let's tell, let's tell everybody where that. Give us some perspective here. Where does that rank right now, I Evan? Run differential of sixty in the American League. I believe that is second, second to yeah. Tampa Bay. And Tampa Tampa, I mean,
2: Tampa I looked this up last night because this was going to be part of my column if
1: they had if they had won the game, but
2: you know, Tampa's run differential is the greatest in history since or or since in, in the modern era, since nineteen twenty, through twenty two games. And there have only been fifteen teams or I'm sorry, eighteen teams that have had run differentials of plus 60 or more through 22 games, 15 of them went to the World Series. So um, good starts are important. And the Rangers are off to a good start. They were in position to get off to a great start. And losing those two games against Cincinnati and Oakland, um, and it's also changed the conversation. Like, if, if we're talking about a team with an eight-game winning streak, they become a national short. They're a national... They're a national story and there is national buzz and there is the confidence that goes along with that. Now, instead, what are we talking about? We're talking about does this team have a back end of a bullpen that's capable of contending all season long? And as I wrote in, in, in my column last night, you know, if you've got if you feel like you've got two different guys closing, it's kinda like quarterbacks. If you've got two, you don't really have one. So That is, I think, what the Rangers are going to have to address. And I I want to add one element to that, too, Kevin. You know, Dane Dunning has been a really effective piece of this bullpen. And he's been a great – he's made a great transition. But do we think at some point in time Dane Dunning is not going to be needed in the starting rotation to cover up some kind of injury somewhere? So you you are looking at at the potential for some real –
1: um, erosion
2: in the
1: bullpen. Yeah, it's already eroding. Uh, and that's, that's my issue with this, with the Rangers, uh, you know, last year after two weeks, I asked, you know, Chris Woodward about his bullpen, you know, at that point, because the Rangers didn't do anything to fix it last year either. Now it's more, understandable, it was more understandable last year. They, they were not a contending team. Why spend money on parts to, to, to do that. Then, um, uh, uh, but they are now, and and that's the issue here. Is we, we know that Jose Leclerc is not really a closer. He 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 has the stuff for it. I don't believe that he you know his command doesn't always show, and I don't know. I'm not always sure about his mental makeup for to be a closer. I think he can be an effective reliever. I just don't think he's uh, a ninth inning guy, and so you you know that now, and uh, and there is nothing that's more. Uh, destructive to a team's morale than a bad bullpen, uh, especially when you were – these were not high-leverage situations last night in the eighth and ninth inning. Those were – they should have been in and out of, the, of both of those innings. Well, uh, they be high-leverage situations, right? I mean, well, it became one, yeah, yes. but but it shouldn't have been. Uh, you know, you go into the eighth inning and, uh, you know, we've got a multi-run lead. That, that shouldn't have been a problem for a team that shows as much potential and promise as the Rangers does. So I, I feel like here to to me, uh, it's incumbent upon Chris Young now to make a deal. I don't I don't I'm not saying he has to make one this week. I'm saying he has to make one uh, long before the deadline. I think he needs to make one in the in the next month because if this continues to happen, if they continue to have these rough spots along the way, uh, you know it's going to be hard on this team. And and secondly. Why wait till the guy that you might want to get is picked off by someone else? Why not be the first one off the board and go ahead and jump in and get you a closer and, uh, and get this team moving forward? Well, I mean, there, and I
2: don't disagree with your
1: perspective there.
2: I also – the questions that I have right now are, um, okay, if you want to go out and trade for a closer – Let's just let, let's go look at the minor league system. Evan Carter has put himself in a position where he's untouchable, and you're certainly not going to trade your number one prospect for a closer. Um, now, would Justin Foscue get something done um, for a closer? I, I don't know. Um, would look? I think Ezekiel Duran is raising his value every day with how he's playing in the big leagues, and I think long term he doesn't really have a spot here. Would that get a closer? I I don't know. The one thing I I want to
1: ask, I want to ask you this question about Ezekiel Duran because I've been thinking about this. I I realize that he's he's playing now because Corey Seager is out, and he he gives you more pop than Josh Smith does. Is that the only reason, though? Is it possible that they are playing him now at shortstop to show someone else, hey, see this is this is what he can do for you?
2: No, I think their I think their models
1: have shown that
2: he's just been that against particularly against left-handed pitching, he's a better offensive option. Um, and I think, listen, the first two weeks of the season, first three weeks of the season, you may have some flaws exposed, but you're not shopping guys at that point in time. You're trying to win games, and he's their best option to win games right now. And playing him regularly has been a a, a plus for them. So. I'm looking for when they're going to play him against a right-handed pitcher. I want to, I want to see how that plays out. Um, and the other thing, uh, the other thing there is, I, 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 the guy is a player. I mean, I, he just he's a player. He's going to have value, and I do think the upside of the Corey Seager injury is that, yeah, while the Rangers aren't necessarily shopping him right now, I do think that he's getting a chance to show off what he can do. And I think come trade deadline time or whenever the Rangers do get more active in making a trade, his value is going to be raised because people do see him much more as an everyday player now. Can
3: can I ask both of you a question here real quick on the closer? Go ahead, Dave. uh, I, I guess that the perspective I would come from on this is have you seen enough early in this season that you feel this team can contend and are you going to get a closer to ensure that or do you still feel it's too early to tell and and you want a closer you want a different level of closer that you just want to still develop, but you're not ahead of where you are actually is competing. Does that make sense? I didn't articulate it well. No, but it, I mean, you basically, sense. you're going all in for a closer because you think you can win it. Or look, we just need someone to stop the bleeding, but we're still not where we need to be. So let's not overpay for a closer right now. You see, I mean, to me, I think it's those are two like, different markets. I think it's more the know?
2: former than the latter. I mean, I, I, I think that this team has... Has shown that look, the starting rotation is kind of what was advertised. It's going to pile up strikeouts. It's not going to beat itself. It's good. The offense has been better than expected, particularly in holding up uh, their end of the bargain, With uh, despite the fact that, that Corey Seeger has been out now for two weeks and that Mitch Garver has been out for two weeks. Those are two pretty big bats to be without. So I, I think the idea is. Look, we've got an opportunity here. We've taken the early stalking horse position in the the American League West. We can build that lead and make teams really have to chase us if we shore up the bullpen situation. I don't think this is a team that's saying if we get a closer, maybe we're a playoff team. I think that this team right now is operating from the perspective of if we're healthy, if we stay healthy, we're in the hunt. And we need to make sure that we've got assets, um, not assets, that, that, that we, we make sure we optimize everywhere on the field. Because, look, I mean, they, they are very possibly, they should be sitting at 16 and six and and looking at win number, you know, looking for win number nine tonight
1: um, in, in a
2: row. And, and they're just not.
1: Well, here's the thing for me. It's two things, David. One is that, that. The Rangers are not betting on the come on people here. You know, just what what Evan said. All this, all the pictures they added were quality pitchers. This is a, these are guys who have a, have a track record. So you you know what they can do, and they're and they are doing what we thought they would. Uh, and then you know, a guy like Josh Young who's playing very well. Well, he's got a pedigree. He was a first round pick. He was a high first round pick, and he was supposed to do this, and he's doing it. And then then Adonis Garcia is playing well, and you know, we, we've talked about the fact that there's still problems in left field and trying to get that all worked out, and you're getting a little bit more than what you'd expect, obviously, from a Travis Jankowski, a lot more than what you'd expect to get from him. But the other positions are all doing well, and, and that's with guys who are hurt. Mitch Garber's out. Corey Seager's out. And the Rangers are still winning. You know, they, this is I think this is a good team. And when you compound that with the fact that the Astros are struggling, the, the, the Mariners are struggling, uh, the Angels are just being the Angels uh, – this is a time you do go all in a little bit in my mind, because, you know, I, I I kind of had some readers who went at me and said, oh, you don't want to trade these prospects and this and that. It's like it's a look, it's a sin if you got a chance to win it and uh, and maybe be a little bit ahead of schedule and you don't go uh, in on that if you because you have no idea what's going to happen. Next year, you don't know if the if the Astros are going to get better all of a sudden, and the Mariners get better all of a sudden, and they do something and they make a move, and you just sat back on your haunches because you're trying to protect that vaunted farm system. You know, I'm not a you know, uh, we we've talked about you know with uh, with Jack Leiter and what what he's going to do. You know, and I had I've had people write me and say, oh, he'll he'll be at the top of the rotation here in a couple of years. It's like since the day they drafted him his stock has sunk and sunk and sunk and sunk i'm not saying he won't be a uh, you know what they expected him to be uh but at some point he was a college pitcher and you expected him probably to be at a level now where he was contending for a rotation spot he's not anywhere close to a rotation spot with the Ranger. so uh i think that they can i think they can mega trade i think that that obviously the closer has now taken precedence over adding an outfield bat at this point. If it takes you a little bit more to get that, then that's what you do. I do, you know, like Evan said, does Justin Bosque get that for you? If he doesn't have a position. He's never going to have a position for the Rangers. Uh, not, not unless something happens to Marcus Simeon or Corey or Corey Seager. And for that matter, we talked about Ezekiel Duran may not either. So I think that there there are things that they these are this is something they have to answer. And I think it also sends a message to the team. Right, it always is a message to the team when the general manager or when the front office is proactive. They say that, "Look at this, look what happened." Uh, I just think that creates great vibes in, in the clubhouse, and I think that, and this is something that they've needed to do for quite a while now. They just kind of let the bullpen go, uh, and they have not answered that need, and it's time to do it.
2: I, Kevin, I, I agree with you there. Um, I really do. I, I I think that it is. It's a need they didn't really address during the offseason. And I don't have i I don't really have an issue with that because they sunk so much money into starting pitching and they re, they vamped
3: You could only address so much. They Something's ramped it up. They
2: ramped that up so much and they've made it a, a playoff caliber rotation. But you can only like you said, David, you can only do so much. But it it stands in the way of this team being able to optimize what is a fast start and May is going to get a lot tougher for this club. I think they're at home for not only nine games in May. When they come home from this road trip to, to this three-game road trip in Cincinnati, they face the Yankees. Um, it, it's going to get tougher. And so I, I don't know that you're going to be able to go out and pull the trigger on a closer sometime in early May, but the Rangers better start the Rangers better start getting their ducks in a row. You don't want to let this start get away from you. This is the best start you've had in a decade. Um, you've gone through six consecutive losing seasons. It would be a shame to not be investigating ways that you could that you could fix this. And look, Cincinnati ran out Alexis Diaz to close out the game last night. Uh, Cincinnati's not going anywhere. Um, the other guy that I like is – I that-
1: voted for Alexis Diaz. I'm on record. Uh, that he's a guy they should target.
2: The other guy I like is Will Bednar in Pittsburgh, but Pittsburgh's off to a good start. So Pittsburgh's not going to be in in mode to really sell somebody right now. But I do think that the Rangers need to start having some conversations, at least internally, about how can we address this.
1: Yeah. There might be more than one that they need anyway, right? I mean, they might need multiple pieces in that bullpen. I kind of like to get a guy so you can get a, a running start on that and and determine if is this guy going to be our closer or not. If not, then let's go make a move for somebody else and back him up to the eighth inning. Uh, whoever you you could get earlier, Evan. Uh, so so what else do we you know when we look at what the Rangers have done so far and and, and across the board? Uh, I got to tell you, as much as I, I, I Nate Lowe's done a great job as a uh, as a, as a bat in that lineup, and he certainly improved as a hitter. But my gosh, he is still a problem at first base. Uh, he's got to dig out that throw from Josh Young, uh, you know, in the game Monday night.
2: I, you know, as I saw that, and uh, there's certain things that you see based on where you sit now in, in, in a press box because press boxes are down the left field line, or like they're in Arlington, they're orbiting the, the planet. Um, but based on your view, sometimes you, you see different things and. So my line of vision last night was great for just watching that play um, that Young made to, uh, on the throw to, to Nate. And it did just hit my mind. Like, this is a play that a championship-caliber first baseman has to make. Now, I know there's some degree of a sliding scale, and Nate gets a lot of, of slide based on the offense. But he's going to have to do a better job. That was not a difficult pick that was that that did not appear to be a real difficult pick the hop was fairly long um he just it it, it seemed like and, and i know you know the first baseman are told to go out and get the ball
1: but it almost
2: seemed like when he went with the glove it's like there was an extra jerk there like it, it yeah like it, it, he's I,
1: just got no he's got no instincts for it and i just you know i don't know if he needs if he needed to take a thousand ground balls a day, or throws a day uh, at first when they're bouncing up to them, that's what they needed to do with him. So a lot of times I see him, he's he, he also got his glove up high. Almost never does a ball bounce higher than you think it's going to, it's almost always lower. And, and it's like he doesn't have that. And I go back to when Mitch Moreland was playing first base for the Rangers and Adrian Beltre talking about you know, when he won a gold glove, he said, I feel like I should give some of this to Mitch Moreland. Because of all the balls he digs out for me over there, and it, it does make such a difference in a, in, a, in a game. When you know Josh Young is playing above his his level, of what everybody thought he was going to be as a third base, and he's really been good. You know that's one of the things that that uh, Bruce Bochy talked about in the spring is he's been great on both sides of the ball. And uh, I
2: think he's on, moved really well at third base. I think he's
1: charged balls really well.
2: Um, yeah, I, I I do think that. Listen, we all know that this is. This is Nate's. Um, this is Nate's biggest weakness. I don't think uh, that he doesn't work at it. I, you know, I watch him every day go out there and take ground balls with with Corey Ragsdale and with Tony Beasley, and they put a lot of time into it, and he took a lot of extra work this spring. But he just—I don't know—that he's ever going to be really smooth at first base in terms of making those picks. But if it, it—and it may always be his his biggest weakness, but it's got to improve a little bit. That that throw last night, I thought, and I want to go back, you know, tonight, today when I've got an opportunity to talk to Bochy a little bit more in depth and to talk to Nate. And I, I want to get a feel, but from my eye, from my view, that was a play that, that needed to be made. I think there's been some other plays where you could say uh, it's a 50-50 play. I thought that was one that
1: needed to be made. Yeah, he's got to do that. That—that's that, another thing that's deflating to a team when uh, a guy, a guy on the left side of the infield makes a great play, he throws it over, and and the first baseman blows the play. I mean, I just—that's—that's that's deflating. Uh, you know, and that, and that game, you know, and that started out uh, for Ivaldi uh, was that you know he had three plays that that didn't get made. Ball to left field, Bubba Thompson loses it in the sun. Uh, and then Marcus Simeon doesn't make a play, uh, at, at second base. And then Nate blows the, the throw, uh, you know, that you just, that's, that's the anatomy of, of losses, that kind of stuff. You just can't have those kind of things pile up on you.
2: No, that was, it, it was sloppy in a number of ways, but I think all things considered, you know, the thing that will drive Bruce, both Bruce Bochy and Mike Maddox mad, um, our seven walks, you know, and five of them in the last two innings. That's just that's just going to drive these.
1: Oh, that's brutal. That's brutal. All right, that's going to do it for the Rangers segment of our podcast. We're going to move over now to a little bit of potpourri. We're going to we're going to dump the uh, the Mavs and the Stars into this. And that's probably not the right term to use. You know, it well, is dump the for the Mavs. We can
3: use not for the yeah. Stars,
1: <laughs> not for the Stars. Uh, David, let's talk about the let's talk about the, uh,
3: the Mavericks first here.
1: Uh, so. So Mark Stein, old pal of ours, a Sports Day alum, reported that the Mavericks were uh, in negotiations with Dennis Lindsey, former GM of the Utah Jazz, also worked uh, for the Spurs and the Rockets uh, and uh, had a pretty good track record there. Uh, He's the guy who brought Rudy Gobert uh, to Utah um, and uh, did some – Good things there. Uh, they, they never got to a conference finals, and, uh, and that contributed to his fall. Also, uh, a comment that he was alleged to have made to a player, a racist comment, also led to his downfall uh, there. So uh, let, let's talk about that. I, I, let's just assume that this is going to happen. I don't know why it hasn't been announced yet. I don't know why uh, they, they haven't gotten it all tied up. Uh, this has got to be a good
3: thing, right? oh to and let's say it does or doesn't work out for him but to acknowledge that maybe you need someone who's been a general manager in the league to actually put a roster together and that would be the best way to proceed and maximize Luka Doncic's talent yes i think that, you know they're recognizing um you know Nico Harrison had never done this before this this was a this was a much different dynamic he went into and that's not to say you can't be successful, but when you have the quizzical personnel moves that you had this past offseason, uh and you have no background to show that I've done this before, I know what I'm doing, I think it really undercuts your authority and and uh, the the view of you and the organization right out the shoot, and I think that's happened with Nico here. And I think uh, you know he can still oversee things. There are still there are ways to structure this, but but they need another basketball person in there uh, to kind of help bring all this together. And uh, it, it's not together right now. I, I would argue the the Mavericks personnel moves for a long time have been have had more of a haphazard feel to them than I mean what okay, what sort of team do they want to build around Luka Doncic now? You know, is it, is it the athletic uh, 3 and D guys? Is it, uh, um, you know, what style do you want to play? I, I, don't, I don't know that th- this has ever really been answered. And, and to me, it's even, it's even more of an indictment because, because, you know, Rick was there so long. You know, I mean, it's not like it's not like you're on your fourth or fifth head coach here in like a six or seven year span. You're only on your second coach in, in the last what 14 years, and there's just not a a, a continuity in, in this team's personnel approach. And I think that's to, to me through the years that's been the biggest biggest thing that's undercut them. Well, let's look back at that uh, since since Mark is on the team. Uh,
1: the, the uh, Mavericks have had uh, people who it, it has, he hasn't always had a general manager. You know, there was a time there when Donnie Nelson did not have the title. I remember when he hired Gerson Rosas and he came in and lasted three months. That didn't last long, yeah. Yeah, that didn't last long. He didn't, he, he supposedly left because he didn't have anything to do. You know, Mark was doing everything or Donnie was doing it all. And and then uh, what Nico was supposed to bring after the blow up between uh, Donnie and Mark. Uh, what Nico was supposed to bring was organization. You know, he was going to come in and everybody was going to have duties and everything was going to be strategized now and be clear what everyone was supposed to do. Uh, I've been told that, yes, they, they did get that. There is more organization there. But one of the things that Mark Stein also reported was that uh, Nico simply said, I'd like to have somebody I can bounce stuff off of a sounding board. Well, what's Michael Finley doing? You know, that, that would be my first question. Here was a guy that was supposed to be in the running for the Chicago Bulls GM job, and he can't even be a sounding board for Nico Harrison. I mean, yeah. that's embarrassing. Uh, so, you know, I, I think pretty much we can say that the, it's a, they're running the same shop that the Cowboys ran for years, right? Where Jerry's in charge, and then in this
3: one, Mark Cuban has always been the guy in charge. Where the organizational yeah. structure is a cult of personality, right? Yeah, More so than a structure. Yes, and exactly and right. for all the criticism that, that Jerry Jones has endured through the years, I think by and large that Mark Cuban has been shielded from that same level of scrutiny for, in many ways, the same approach that got Jerry Jones criticized. And I think just now, I think belatedly, some of that heat is starting to come on Cuban about, uh, look, it's, it's not all the individuals. It's about how you have it structured. It's about how you swing in at any point, and it's hard to put in a process or a, a protocol or a procedure and follow it because you just come in and swing in at any point, and, and you make the decision and then, then go out. So you can't you can't have a structure for eighty percent of the time that you totally rip up whenever you know the, the owner slash true general manager wants to come in and do whatever they want to do, and and the cowboys endured that for years you've seen them that's not as big of an issue now and you can see they're better in the draft their draft and development everything in that aspect has gotten better uh that's what the mavericks need to do
1: yes they do you know my issue with with mark is it seems to me that mark is starstruck he he wants star level players he has been he's he's tried to bring them here for years now through free agency that's never worked uh and he, he gets people in mind uh, like that and thinks that he can fill around it. Uh, I, I think even now they think, and he has said, oh, this is a to be easier to do now. We just need some more 3 and D guys, and that's easy to do. Well, yeah, it's easier than getting a, a superstar, but it's not – if it was all that easy, why don't you have them? You had yeah. one. You had Dorian Finney-Smith, and that was – now, <laughs> yeah. now he's gone. Now he's gone. You know, and Josh Green is not really that kind of player. You know, he's not as he's not long enough, big enough, really, to, to stand up for that. They, You know, the, over the course of the season, after the trade, the Mavericks got even smaller. They were a small team that got even smaller, and teams took advantage of that. They couldn't. Their offensive rebounding was terrible. The way that defenses have changed in the league, it's, it's much more into switching now. Uh, apparently, the Mavericks were switched upon more than any other team in the league last year. And so... They, they've struggled a lot with their makeup on this team. So it would be interesting to me to see if Dennis Lindsey can come in, they can find out, you know, yes, it's really important for them to decide what to do with Kyrie Irving and what kind of contract they're going to offer him. That's going to be fascinating to see what they decide to do. But they're also going to have to build in around these guys. Uh, they're going to have to get bigger and tougher, uh, much more so. And, and I think with that 10th pick, you know, I was talking to Brad Townsend the other day, you know, about, what do you think they're going to do with that pick? If they end up with the tenth pick, because um, that's not a definitive thing either. Uh, do you think they'll use it? Do you think they'll trade it? And and he was he was kind of in, in the feeling that they would probably trade that pick. I'm not sure that that's you know I I, I kind of like the idea of them keeping it. There are some uh, this draft is a little heavy on the three and D type of wings, and and that, this team can certainly use those. Uh, it's just a question of if they get that kind of guy, will he be able to make an immediate impact? You know, the the feeling is, generally speaking, well, no, not on a a championship-level team, but this wasn't anywhere close to a championship-level team this last year. So it'll be very interesting to me to see what they do and what kind of impact Dennis Lindsay can make if he is indeed going to end up as some kind of consultant, associate, assistant, whatever that's going to be defined as.
2: I mean, I just think it's a real. All I know is I'm still stuck on the fact that you said Mark Cuban is starstruck. I mean, which of the big? Th- there are two high-profile owners in this town, and they're both starstruck.
1: And- well, there's no question about it. Well, that's what they—that's what you end up with, right? That's why they bought the teams because they want to run them. You know that—that's why Jerry bought the Cowboys so he could run it. And I think that's what Mark did too. Mark—Mark's done it from the very beginning. The—the uh, the difference for Mark was that the, the team got better almost as soon as he bought it, you know, and that team, the level of play increased and they won, they didn't win championships, but they were very consistent at winning. I think that the difference for Jerry was after Jimmy left, then everything went downhill. So all the fans associated the winning with Jimmy and not with Jerry. And that was not so much the case with Mark, but I think, you know,
3: Dave right. There's certainly no question that in the last few years now, it's all come but, around now it's and, all come he, around and he's already. being viewed differently. And, and I think, I think more and more people are seeing what, We saw earlier that there there are a lot of comparisons between Mark and and Jerry. There there are. I mean, I
2: I think on the ego front, I think their ego plays out a little bit differently. But I I, I, I will just go back to this. You know, I I get my interaction with fans is often about Ray Davis. and, And look, he's got a completely different perspective on things. But I have always thought that the best owners are the owners that simply stay in the background open up their pocketbooks and allow the people who are whatever that sport specific experts, let them run their teams. And I, I think there's been a point in time where Ray got, you know, Ray trimmed back his budget a whole bunch. But I think you're seeing right now with the Rangers, when you do stay in the background and let your guys make baseball decisions, you can put together A pretty good operation. And I think that's where I I think for all the good that Mark and Jerry have done, I think that that's where they stumble on things sometimes is they're too heavy handed and too, too much getting involved.
3: Well, very quickly, I know we want to get to stars, but like, who, who did Mark Cuban go out and recruit Chandler Parsons? Right. You know, I mean, I, I that, I was mean thinking why exactly is he that, that involved? You know, so, I mean, yes. that, that shows you the type of personality he's drawn to and the sort of splash and, and charisma that doesn't always translate into a substantive move. Yeah. Well, and
1: and that, and that I think another point, too, I want to make before we get away from that is that look what the Spurs did. Uh, the, the Spurs, and, and R.C. Buford and Greg Popovich have been together for a quarter century. And when they make a move, when they decide on somebody – Everybody's on board. Okay, here we go. And now we we move forward in lockstep. Uh, that's not what happened with the Mavericks this last offseason. You know, Jason Kidd did not want Christian Wood. And yet they and they brought him. Did they did they know that? Did did he get to say, Hey, I don't want this? Because that was a disaster. You give up a first round draft choice for a guy who couldn't even get on the floor because A, he couldn't play defense, and the head coach didn't want him. You know, that's that's terrible. Uh, so they're going to have to uh, really improve their lines of communication, if nothing else. All right, right, let's. So I want to talk about the Stars before we get out of here real quick. Uh, you know, in this series with Minnesota, which has become pretty
3: wild, and not just because they're playing the wild, uh, we've seen... Okay, game- I expected that line from Evan, not from you. All
1: right, well, I go I lowered, ahead. I lowered myself to that level. That they're... The, the, just the bounce-backs from game to game have just been crazy to watch. Uh, you know, one game where the... Yeah, yeah, very good. Okay, thanks. Uh I want I want to go on record saying the the Stars are the clearly to me the better team. Uh the the Wild is the more physical team and they have constantly bounced the Stars out of what they want to do. Uh and by any measurable you look at between these two teams, the Stars are better. They're better on their power play, they're, they're better on their penalty kill, they're better 5 on 5 even though they haven't played that well. Jason Robertson hasn't risen to the level he needs to and it has caused uh, Tyler Sagan to come in uh, to replace Joe Pavelski in the front line to be the really the catalyst for this team so far. So I'm still waiting for Jason Robertson to step up. He's been their best offensive player all year long, one of the best in the league. He needs to really step up and do that. We'll see as we're taping this Tuesday, they're playing tonight in, in a game six, which will be very, very big uh, for one of these uh, for these two clubs here. Well, I, I'm sorry, not game six, game five. Uh, game five, yeah.
3: You know, hey, and Jake Ottinger's the key here, right? did not he? I mean, like you sure. said, all that's right, that Dallas is ahead on all of these fronts. If Ottinger plays like he did in game four, I think they win this series in six.
1: You he's know. a he's he's a terrific goalie. I he got he got rung up here a little bit uh, in in game four, but look, this is the you no know, a lot of that's uh, the fault of the stars as well. You know they don't always you know they're not doing the job they should in front of him sometimes. I just feel like the the stars are a team that is supremely talented, and it's I think it's it's a well coached team. I think this team has all the things you need to make a really deep run into the playoffs. The thing I don't understand about the stars is that feeling you get from them at times, like, oh, well, what are we supposed to be doing now? I mean, our, our, we'll just go out here and play, and we'll just outplay them. And if there's there's no uh, sense of urgency at times uh, for this team. I don't really understand it, and I don't understand how you let a team make runs at your better players. I don't understand. You know, it goes back to them. You know, the, the hit on Pavelski that took him out. Uh, I don't. I don't think there was a there was no sense of a payback for that. You know, uh, there's this is a team that's kind of lacking that kind of enforce, uh, enforcement type mentality out there on the ice. Uh, they are a very highly skilled team, and that's kind of the that's the trade-off, right? What kind of team would you rather have? Well, I'd rather have a highly skilled team, but you're going to have to have some people that get out there and press the message a little bit. So we'll see if the, the stars are able to do that. I still think they can make a, a, a really uh, long run. Just because of what you know, David said, when you got a great goalie, and I think Jake Ottinger is a great goalie, well, then you can go places. Uh, but they're going to have to play well around him, and they're going to have to send a message uh, to the Wild at this point. All right, that's going to do it for our podcast this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. As I said earlier, we're going to be back next Tuesday, and we're going to talk about how the Cowboys did in that draft, and we're going to have our grades out and everything. We're going to tell them where they went right and where they went wrong because we know more than the Cowboys do. Kevin, I have
2: some bad news for you as we leave. What's that? Brian Reynolds and the Pirates just agreed
1: on an eight-year contract extension. Oh, updating, breaking news, eight-year extension. Holy cow. Brian Reynolds is not coming to the Rangers.
2: That's okay. Uh, As I'm tweeting right now, if I was calling the Pirates anyway right now, I'd be calling more about David Bednar than I would be about Brian Reynolds.
1: Up. Getting getting yourself a closer instead of an outfit All right. Well, then that's, we're right up to the very end. We're delivering breaking news to you. So that's going to do it. Yes, so it's see,
3: fresh. The
1: minute we
2: yes. get uploaded. <laughs>
3: the minute this is posted in 24 yeah. hours, people go wow. Well, that's what people always say about this podcast. <laughs> wow. I
1: had one word to say about this podcast. That's what it was. Wow. All right.
3: Everybody. Bye.